Well, I'm glad to be here. How fun. So the last time I was here, it was really awesome. We had a special little visitor. It was a dog. Do y'all remember that? Who was here? That was really crazy, that dog. I'm going to just set this. Because that's the first time I'd ever been in a service where the dog was also a part of it. Unless this was a service dog. Maybe there's been a service dog. But I think this dog just wanted to come and be a part of us. Which I thought was really cool. So, um, but I'm so glad to be here. I'm usually uh, at the Monterey Oaks campus. That's where I stay most of the time. But um, I'm so thankful for what the Lord is doing in all of the campuses. And the body of Christ is growing and and I hope that there are many people that are being born again. And so it's just awesome to see you this morning. You're really looking good. <laughs> Wanda's clapping for you, and I'm clapping too. <laughs> I love you, Wanda. It's good to see you. And it's so good to see some of you that I don't get to see very often. And... Um, had a good time of worship this morning because it's so good to to come and just focus on the Lord because that's who it's all about. It's about him. It's certainly not about me standing up here. But I do have a word from the Lord. And uh, so why don't we just pray very quick prayer and then we'll just dig in. How about that? Lord, I thank you that you are here with us. Lord, we have first come into your presence and we just want to see you, Lord. But I'm asking you for one thing, is that you would reveal yourself, Lord, that you would speak to us, open up our eyes, open up our ears, that we would be able to understand what it is that you would have us to know about who you are and how we can respond to you, Lord. And so we commit our time to you and ask you to help us. I pray this in Jesus' name. So if you have your Bible or even if you have your message notes, I think it's on the message notes, and I believe it will be up here on the screen as well, I think. But I'm going to first read from Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That, that is like a description of what faith is, Okay. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift. And through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Wouldn't that be amazing to just go, you know, because you're walking with God so closely? Well, that happened. Happened a couple of times, actually, in the scriptures that we know of that were written down. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you see from that paragraph, there's one crucial thing that is important in our life, and that is faith. It says without it, it's impossible to please God. It's faith. It's not following rules and regulations and being legalistic about certain things. It is about faith. Faith. 
Did you notice that the people that it mentioned in here were people of the Old Testament? Did you see that? Abel, Cain, Enoch, even though Cain really didn't have faith. So he's mentioning that. And because there's this erroneous thought that people of the Old Testament obtained righteousness by following the law. But as you see right here, they didn't. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll see that he talks about all these people of faith and they were approved righteous because of that, because of their belief in God. Some of them were promised something and they didn't even receive it at that point, but they were counted as righteous, God says. So faith is very, very important for us, that we grasp it. Now, we have to have faith to know God. That's how we get saved, is through faith, right? We all know that, the basics. It says, now faith, <coughs> excuse me, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is, is the dependence or the trust in the one who promises us something, Right? And we believe that what he says is true and right, and it's going to come true. That's, that's like the basic of what faith is. And hope looks forward to anticipation, expectation that what he says is going to come to pass. So hope is not our enemy at all. And it's not like the American kind of hope. And I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. The American kind of hope is wishful thinking. Well, I wish... But that's not what true hope is in the biblical sense. So it is, it is a proper response. Hope is a proper response, a proper attitude to, to God's promise. And so attitude is very, very important for, for us. And this kind of hope, as it says in Romans 5, 5, will never disappoint us. So if we hope in a God that is not really the God that, of the Bible, then we're hoping in a futile thought. And some people hope in a God that is a sugar daddy or he's a genie because they don't really know him. And you know what? Usually they end up get, getting disappointed. So sometimes our disappointment comes because we are hoping in something that is not real. And that happens. That has happened to me. And I had to be corrected, so to speak, you know. So uh, uh, a hope, true hope, is not going to be moved by circumstances. It is going to know that God, this unseen God, that we can sense and feel and know is faithful to us. Hope is the anchor. That's why when you say see the little icons for faith, hope, and love, you see the anchor for hope is a, I mean the little symbol for hope is an anchor, right? It's an anchor of our soul. And it is, it, it's not wishing for the best either. Now we can wish for the best, but that's an American kind of thing, an English word kind of thing. Hope is not a feeling or emotion. Hope is rooted in faith. All right? Faith, but let's just think about faith. So I wanted to give you that little snippet of hope because, you know, sometimes I say, I hope it works out. But that's not the biblical kind of hope. That's just wishful thinking, all right? Faith is not faith and faith. Our faith is a belief and a trust and a loyalty in God. We need to get that straight. 
And we trust that the word of God is true as well. Because this lets us know what God thinks and what he says. Now we can look at creation. We can see the beauty of creation. And we can say there is a God. But we need something more than that. We need something to know. What is it that pleases him? We know it's faith. A tree doesn't necessarily tell you that, even though you can feel it. But we need the word of God to define it for us. Who is God? He's the creator. Who is he? He's my healer. Who is he? He's my provider. Who is he? He brings peace to me. Now, that's what the word of God tells me. And that is the foundation, should be the foundation of our life. I, I hear that you've been doing a series around here called Healer, right? I've heard it's great. Do you like it? Are you loving it? Is the Lord really speaking to you and helping you to grow in that, to realize who he is, that he is your healer? And I think that Russ asked you a question in the beginning. Well, at least he told me he did. says, do you believe there's hope for your healing? Do you believe there's hope for your healing? Do you believe that God can heal a relationship that's gone awry? Do you believe that God can heal a broken heart, possibly from that relationship? Do you believe that God can heal you of an addiction or heal you of sickness? Do you believe that? The problem with asking that is sometimes we confuse and we mistake the English sense of the word hope, which I am going to call wishful thinking, for faith. Many times we base our hope and our faith on an outcome and not God. So that's getting the cart before the horse. Because let's face it, when we're in a tight or things are not going well, or we just don't know, we always seem to gravitate to what's going to make us comfortable, right? And so we tend to look, I need this, I need this, instead of looking at God and saying, what do you have for me? Because sometimes the things that God has for us is he wants us to repent from that nasty sin, but sometimes repenting can be really hard because sin likes to have a stronghold. But through the blood of Jesus, he has broken that stronghold. But to come out of that, it hurts our flesh. But it strengthens our spirit, doesn't it, Jan? It does. So faith is not wishful thinking, y'all. It is not a hope so in the English sense. It is a no so. That is faith. To have true faith and hope on God, hope in God is that you know him. So there must be a personal relationship with him. It's not impersonal. A, a true faith is not like, okay, there's a 60% chance of rain, and I really need it to rain on my garden or my flowers. That in and of itself is wishful thinking. I mean, it may rain or it may not, but it's utterly undependable, and it really doesn't have any power to bring it to pass just because you look, oh, 60% chance it's going to do that. That's wishful thinking. And some of us, whether we realize it or not, seem to answer that question, which is, do you believe there is hope for your healing, out of wishful thinking instead of hope? Well, it's kind of like a conditional, the conditional tense of, will he? Because you're not really sure what he has told you. Or your own crazy mental thoughts are, surely not me 
because I'm not worthy. So we tend to ask and say, I wish God would heal that relationship. I wish God would heal my heart. I wish God would heal my body. I wish, I wish, I wish. But there's a big difference between wishing and taking the altar by the horns and saying, God, this is what you have promised for me. So let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever bought a lottery ticket or signed up for the publisher's clearinghouse? Now, you don't have to raise your hand unless you're on the back row. You know, nobody will see you. But, you know, so, I mean, there have been times in my life that I've done the publisher's clearinghouse. Now, I'm from Alabama, so we don't do the lottery. However, I know there's lottery here, but I have no idea how you even go about doing such a lottery. What do you do? You go in and pay some money and then get it, get a card or something? Anyway, but it's that same idea. Why in the world do you do it? You don't have to answer that because most people are like, well, maybe just by chance I'm the one in a billion that might win that cash money. One in a billion. Now, that's kind of wishful thinking. You know, that really is thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'll be the lucky one. It is just by chance. Perhaps there is a chance that God might pick me out of that one in a billion. Now, somebody obviously has got to win that lottery or win that chance. Somebody does, but it's only by chance. It's not likely, is it? But knowing God and knowing what he has promised and believing that, well, that's faith. And that is foundational and it's very personal because you're saying, I know God. And I think it's a revelation. So Lisa prayed one thing. She said the revelation that we would have, the revelation. I was like, yes, Lord. We need a revelation. What is it? Who are you? What have you promised? You got to dig into him to find those things out. So let's, let's come up with a definition for faith, okay? Faith is the unconditional confidence in God that compels me or you to act according to the eternal truth of who God is and according to his will. It is not confidence in that I got it all figured out either. Faith is directed toward a person, and that person is God and not an outcome. Because if you can get that straight, then the outcome is going to follow. Because God is faithful, and he is true. He is not like a man that he should lie. And the word of God tells us. So let's break this down, okay? Number one, faith is unconditional. It is wholehearted it is absolute. It is total. It's not based on fickle feelings or thoughts, philosophical thoughts. Because we can have philosophical thoughts that kind of dig us out of a hole and say, well, he's really not interested in me or that because he's so transcendent. He's so far away that he's probably not. I, I can remember I had a neighbor one time. He says, well, I really don't ask God for things because he's so big and he's so busy with other important things like babies dying and, you know, starving in Africa. And I thought, how sad. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know that God loved him. And if he was that only one person that Jesus came to save, he would, he would pick that one guy out. And that he can, we can come to him because he says he wants us. He has adopted us into his family. And so, therefore, we can say, Dad, you're my dad. Abba, Father, it says, which means Daddy. Daddy. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. It's spiritual, it's eternal, and it doesn't change like things in our society or culture or, or you know, history changes. He doesn't change. Number two, faith is confidence in God that compels me to act. It, it, it's a conviction. It is a persuasion, and the Holy Spirit does that. So there's a key. The Holy Spirit does it. He's the one that we've got to surrender to so he can work in our heart. It is a revelation of God that opens up your mind to this. And it affects your being. It affects your whole. It requires an action on your part. Have you ever just been compelled? You're like, I'm just compelled. I've got to do this. It is that kind of compelling. You feel like if I don't, I'll just die. That's what true faith is. James 2.20 says faith without works is dead. It's a living faith. It is not dead. And people see it in you. That is faith. You have faith in a God because he comes in and he gives you new life. That's why it's living. Number three, faith is acting according to the eternal truth of who God is and according to his will. It's not based on what I want because honestly... Let's see, what would I want today? It'd be so nice to just be laying in the bed, somebody bringing me breakfast and just be lazy today or going out on the boat or, you know, that's what my flesh says. But you know, my spirit wouldn't like that not one little bit because my spirit is compelled by the spirit of God himself to be with you and to worship him and to to feed my soul because that is the tr my true identity. Not that I have a leisure day. Now, don't get me wrong. Sabbath is good. It's good to have days where you could lay around and just unwind and disconnect. And we should do that. But, but faith is not based on what I want or what others want or what I grab out of the air. That is presumption. So I'm so thankful for the Bible. Because I don't have to presume what God is saying or what he, how he feels about certain things. And how he created things to be. I don't have to presume it. I can know it. Faith is based on the reality of who God is and what his will is. What he desires. What makes him happy. How he created the earth in the beginning. The Apostle John said in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now that's personal. That is not impersonal, kind of like, well, perhaps God hears me. And you know what? If we ask according to his will, we know he hears us. And whatever we ask, that thing will come to pass. Because we are convinced and we are compelled that God is who he says he is. So really the focus is God. It's not on my fickle feelings because my feelings do cause me problems sometimes. Why? Why all of this? Because faith is the unconditional confidence in God that compels me to act according to the eternal truth of who God is and according to his will. According to his will. Do you think that the enemy wants you to know what the will of God is? So he's going to do everything in his, his power to keep you from knowing the will of God. 
He doesn't want you to know that you are an, are an ambassador for Christ. And an ambassador speaks only for the one that he has sent, that has sent him. And so you all have that responsibility. And he gives you the Holy Spirit to be like that. Now I want you to think about faith in this way of what Jesus has done for us. So 153 years ago, on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed into law the Emancipation Proclamation. Did y'all realize that? It's been a long time ago. Like, in today's time, we are horrified to think that even in this country that we had slaves, that you could own another person. It's not even in our psyche. We feel like that was so long ago, that doesn't even pertain to us anymore. So I want us to read just a little section of it. It's going to go up on the screen so you can follow along, and I will read it. That on the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as, as slaves within any state shall be then henceforth and forever free. The government of the United States will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts that they may make for their actual freedom. He's saying they're free, no longer slaves. Now, therefore, I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, by virtue of the power in me, vested as Commander-in-Chief, Order and designate as the states wherein the people thereof respectively are this day in rebellion against the United States. Here's the list. And we're listed in that. Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. And by virtue of the power, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and are henceforth shall be free. And that the executive government of the United States therein will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. And I hereby enjoin upon the people so declared to be free to abstain from, in, from all violence unless is necessary as self-defense. And I recommend to them that they labor faithfully for reasonable wages. And I further declare and make known that such persons and suitable condition will be received into the armed services of the United States. And upon this act, I invoked the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of Almighty God. In witness thereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Abraham Lincoln. That was a good day, wasn't it? Yeah. So this Emancipation Proclamation freed every slave in the United States, right? Every slave. It was law. It was not just some flowery words on a document that people just look at it and said, oh, that's so nice and make them feel better. It wasn't winning the lottery, just some, you know, but let's just think about it a minute. So what if somebody in South Carolina, the masters of the one in South Carolina, because you know the masters didn't like it, that was, quote, their property and they were losing a commodity as far as they were concerned. But what if that master said, that's not you. That pertains to someone else. And then the slaves are like, okay. Or what if in Mississippi, in some plantation, they went and uh, they just thought to themselves, we just think that's just for a privileged few. It's not for us. And so they continue to think like that. Did that 
for even them thinking that or somebody lying to them, did it change the fact that they were free? Kind of had to work it out, didn't they? Yeah, the Emancipation Proclamation freed everyone. But the reality is that there were slaves that continued to be under, the, under their masters, right? From history, we know that. And a lot of them said, I don't feel any different. I don't know how to do this. My surroundings are not any different. What am I going to do? It's a difficult time for some of them. And, uh, you know, they may have said, well, I'm free, but I don't feel free. I don't know how to do that. You know, I went to, uh, I went camping in East Germany. Remember the wall was up? This is back in 1980. And I was on the mission field in Belgium. So I went with a, uh, another one of my team members. She was from Holland, and she knew uh, some uh, people in the body of Christ on the other side of the Iron Curtain. So we went on the other side of the Iron Curtain that was communist at that time. And they did not have, something that struck me was they did not have a concept of freedom at all. They didn't think, because number one, they didn't choose their occupation. The government chose it for them, you know, through various means. They didn't necessarily get to go out freely and say, oh, I think I want to buy a house. No, they had to get on a government list, and the government, they had to usually wait on that list for months and months and even years before they even got an apartment. If they were lucky, maybe they got a house. Now, they probably could purchase it, but it was all government-run. And they certainly didn't think that they could freely travel. They could only freely travel within the East German country. You know, unless the government said, okay, we're going to let you get out, and you've got to go do this, and then you're coming right back. So they didn't have a concept of freedom. And I know that when that wall came down in 1989, that a lot of people had trouble with the concept of choice. That now I can choose anything I want to. That didn't even enter their mind that they could choose. You know, are y'all watching the Olympics? I love the Olympics. I do. I love the Olympics. And I can remember during that time when, during those communist countries, I was always fascinated by the athletes from Russia and those communist countries because the government would choose who they felt would be the good gymnast, and then they'd train them for that. In a sense, they probably didn't even get to choose that. But you know, in America, we understand freedom. We understand that mindset. But some of these slaves in 1863, did not even understand the concept of freedom. And I think that is the way it is with us as believers. We are compelled by the Holy Spirit. He calls us into his family, and we come in and we have no clue what it means to be free because we have been in so much bondage all of our life to whatever that thing is that we don't think that it could be any other way. Well, we have a compass, y'all. It's the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It is spirit and in truth. And that will get us to the place that we need because He has promised. He has promised that freedom. I also was thinking about the, the situation with South Carolina. What if the master said, you're not free? And, and I went to high school with two cousins, Kay and Mandy. And Kay and Mandy grew up in the church, and we had a revival in my high school. 
during those times. It was during the Jesus movement. So it was really crazy and wild. It was awesome. And so they were a part of that revival. And then, you know, they grew up and they got married pretty early, two or three years after high school, which I think is early. It's not, it's not early anymore, is it? But, um, and so at that point, I, uh, they got married, they had children, and then life got a little rough. And it's so interesting to me because both of them, the enemy came in. He came sneaking in. Isn't that how he does like that? He sneaks in. And both of them, about the same time, started looking at other men. And it was very enticing. The enemy was lying to them and saying, things are not going too good in your life. And look, you deserve better than that. And just that infatuation and that emotional tie that comes that the enemy lies. Now, Kay, you know, she is like um, getting emotionally tied to this guy that was actually doing work for her family. But at the same time, she was surrounded by some people that were going, you better watch it. You better repent. And you know what she did? She repented. She repented and she says, okay, my heart, my emotions, and all that are wacky. But you know what? I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he says. And she repented. Started walking with him. And today, oh, it's just so awesome. Her kids are grown. She's got grandchildren. And she just loves her husband so much. And they're the sweetest thing after 30-something years. But her cousin, Mandy, at the same time. So Mandy grew up in a very strong Christian family. She was involved in this, this revival as well. So I knew the Lord got a hold of her heart. And so as trials and tribulations come, she goes through the same thing like her cousin. But yet, Mr. Beautiful NFL football player comes along. And she's like, I, I, I don't like my husband anymore. As a matter of fact, I can't stand him. And so her heart gets knit to this big, beautiful guy. And she starts a full-blown affair with him. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is calling her, convicting her. And trying to draw her back. And she's not paying a bit of attention to him. Because I know the mercy of God and the long-suffering of God is when we're going down the wrong road. He's going to draw and he's going to draw. But you know what she did? She ignored him. She did not repent. And she said, this is what I want. It led her to drinking and doing drugs. Because she couldn't take the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And her life is a mess today. And you know what? God is still calling her. So the Lord, when I saw this happening and I saw Kay, she's like saying, okay, I really want that because I'm hurt. But she ran to Jesus and he just took her in and he healed her from that and restored everything. She believed the truth. She believed Jesus. And Mandy over here, she is believing a lie, and the lie becomes reality. It became reality to her. And she, as far as I know, she's still living in that reality. And she would say, it's re this is reality. What do you mean the truth? This is reality. So that's what the devil does to us. He lies. Just like the masters of these slaves lied and said, you're not free. 
And so what do they do? They think, well, I guess I'm not free. But you know what? we got to believe the truth and what is right. Because if you believe a lie, it becomes your reality. It becomes a pseudo-truth to you. But Jesus came to set us free. He came to restore us. He came to us. But what does he want from us? He wants faith and he wants repentance. Freedom was theirs. Freedom was Mandy's. Freedom was the slaves that didn't believe it. But listen, Calvary is our emancipation proclamation. And, and, and it, it, it emancipates us from everything outside of the will of God, of what the enemy has tried to lie to us about. Let's look at, at, at Romans 6. There's a few uh, portions of scripture out of that chapter. We're going to pick out some. And I think it's up there. Yeah. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you, are, you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. And what was the results? You are, you are now ashamed of the things you used to do, these things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul says in verse 18, now you are free from your slavery to sin. It's already been done. You've been set free. And you may ask, well, what in the world have I been set free if you really don't know much of what God has said about it? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Colossians 2.13-14 says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, <clears throat> for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. But you may ask, what is the curse of the law? What does that actually look like? Okay, we know that God, that he set us free, but what is that? What are some of those particular things? Galatians 3.10, for as many are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, curses everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. You know, it's interesting because we, we try to reach God by being good and doing good. We try to do it by a moral law, so to speak. Now, granted, when you allow the Holy Spirit to come and he gives you a new heart, he puts his law in your heart. It becomes a part of you. So the law is important. But when we're trying to follow a law, it's just almost impossible because in God's economy, you have to follow that law 100% of the time the rest of your life. And it's just impossible. So, because of that, we were sold into slavery. We're on a slave market of our sin, of sin. So everybody's under a curse. And, and we, it all started it at birth because we inherited from our fathers, Right? 
which doesn't seem fair. But you know what? That's what Adam and Eve did to us. So therefore, we struggle. We try to do right, but there's just no way we can. Even good people cannot get it right 100% of the time for the rest of their life. Deuteronomy 28 has 53 verses of ways in which the curse of law has manifested in men's lives. And I'll just give you a few. There's a whole bunch of them. You can go and read it. Now, he also tells you what the blessings are, but the curses. And this is when Israel was trying to live under a law. But Jesus became the curse for us so that we could live in, in newness of life. But these are some of the things that show up. Drought and pestilence. And we see that in various places. Sickness and disease. Defeat. Mental confusion and madness. Oppression. Relational destruction. Poverty. Captivity. And all the things the devil tries to inflame us. Inflame us. Enslave us. He does inflame us too, doesn't he? Galatians 3, 11 goes on to say, no one is justified by the law before God is evident. Then he adds this little bitty, wonderful little verse. He says, the righteous man shall live by faith. But you wonder, why in the world did God come up with a law when he knew, he just knew we couldn't keep the law. He did it to draw us to Jesus. Because sometimes if you don't know you're not doing right, if you don't know you're a transgressor, then you may think, well, this is just how things are. But God wants us to know we are sinners and we are transgressors, which will lead us to Jesus because he's our Savior. And he came, and his death and resurrection got rid of that curse. It got rid of that curse. He redeemed us from every curse. Isn't that good news? That is good news. And now we live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. It is a heart issue. And so we no longer live to sin, and we no longer live by that law. So it says in Romans 6 that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we need to know that we are released from the law, and we serve in the newness of the Spirit. Has everything to do with the Spirit. Has everything to do with relationship with God. And if we remove him out of it and we're just looking for some relief, then you've got to go to God first. The Apostle Peter, describing Jesus' resurrection and his death in 1 Peter 2.24 said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. We needed to be made whole and we were broken to pieces. So just like the Emancipation Proclamation, it has been signed into law by the blood of Jesus. And it's a spiritual thing. But you may say, I'm still struggling. I'm, I, you know, I'm still struggling with things. I don't quite understand. And, you know, as I was looking over this this morning and I was looking at this passage that is Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. I went down to the bottom and I went, oh my goodness, God has just given us the answer. Because he says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. We know that. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he says that we must know who he is. We must believe that he is. Not some made up God, but the God of the Bible. 
All right? He is the object of our faith. And that we must know that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, I really didn't know the meaning of the word reward. So, I went and looked it up in the original. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. So, the reward is not that we just get awarded something because we won something. You know, you kind of think about that. I got the reward because I won the, you know, the relay and swimming or whatever. No, it is due. It is, it is, is what, it is what's due, do you. It is something that is given that is rightfully yours. Now, it far exceeds, this reward far exceeds what we deserve because it's not according to our achievement at all. It is bought for us by Jesus' blood, okay? So Jesus, when he came in, he brought the kingdom of God, right? He brought the spiritual kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit into the world at the cross. And it catches up to our time right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is something that goes through time. It went back in time for those that had faith, and it goes forward in time to us that are sitting here right now. It's a divine reward that we undeservedly receive. But what... There's really, I mean, they say it's, uh, it's unconditional, but there is actually one condition in my little way of thinking. And that condition is faith. Faith. Faith is actually obedience as well, y'all. It doesn't mean that I say, well, I have faith <clears throat> and God is there. You know, you may a person be like the slaves from uh, South Carolina that really didn't have any, that, you know, the master said, you're not free. They were lied to. Well, you need to know what Jesus says because he died on the cross to remove all that, to remove that curse. Or if you have believed a lie, then you need to believe God and repent from believing the lie. You know, and, and, and I love it because he says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what is our response? We diligently seek him. We believe it. We understand this is what Jesus has done for me in this day and this time. Now just think of one last thing. What if you were that person that went to a Mississippi plantation and you whip out that Emancipation Proclamation and you read it to them? And you are on this side of the history. And you know. And then they're just looking at you like, what are you talking about? Think of it in that way. I want you to embrace your Emancipation Proclamation. And if you don't know it, here it is. Start reading. You diligently seek him. And you never lose hope. Never, 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 never give up. You don't lose hope because God loves you and he cares for you. Now, Russ has provided us with our own Emancipation Proclamation. And so it's in your message notes. If not, you can get it on your way out, but it's going to be up on the screen. So I want you to stand up. <clears throat> And we are going to declare this. 
And you may not know some of these things, but let's just, you got to start somewhere. You got to understand what Jesus has done for you. And let's declare it together. Today, I declare and proclaim that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Therefore, I am who God says I am, and I have what God says I have. I boldly step out of the captivity of sickness and disease, mental confusion and madness, relational destruction and poverty. I declare that I am free from the law of sin and death. I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me. I have the mind of Christ. I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I have received the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. The eyes of my understanding have been enlightened. I can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one with my shield of faith. I have power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm me. I am more than conqueror through him who loves me. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I am forgiven of all my sins and washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am delivered from the power of darkness and brought into God's kingdom. I am redeemed from the curse of sin, sickness, and poverty. I am firmly rooted, built up, established in my faith, and overflowing with gratitude. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am strengthened with all my according to his glorious power. I am submitted to God, and the devil flees from me because I resist him in the name of Jesus. I am not controlled by fear because God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Today, I stepped into the freedom that God has given me through the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. Amen. That's right. So now... We're just going to keep going a little further. We're going to take a time. We're going, to, we're going to take the Lord's Supper because I want you to focus on and think about what Jesus has done for you, that he took all your sin, he took all your shame on the cross. And so I want to read what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. For I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. This do in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So we are looking forward with hope and faith that Jesus is coming back. And then all this stuff we have to live through will be behind us. But in the meantime, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have his wisdom. We have his healing. We have his freedom. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate that. And we, here at One Chapel, we do open communion. 
Actually, that means that if you have put your faith in Christ, then you can take communion. You don't have to go through some confirmation or anything. You, you know because it's a heart thing with God. And what we do here is you're going to go from the, le- the right over here around, and then there's a station in front of this group of chairs, and there's a station over in front of this group of chairs, and you're just going to file out front row first and come, and then you'll go back around and uh, just take this time to say, Lord, I want the revelation of who you are so you can walk in that newness of life and that freedom and not be held under bondage to things that the enemy will try to hold you under. And afterward, after we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a time of prayer, okay? So will you join me? Lord, we just give you this time. Lord, I pray you speak to us. You open up our eyes and our ears as we think about what you did on the cross and what you're doing for us right now in the name of Jesus. You can, you can start on the first row.